Welcome everyone to our first Gift Conversations podcast. We're happy to have you join us. I'm Sam Beard, the founder and president of the nonprofit Gift Connect. Today, we are so honored to have Kathleen Kennedy Townsend as our first guest. Kathleen is the oldest child of Senator Robert and Ethel Kennedy. She was the two-term Lieutenant Governor of Maryland and Deputy Assistant Attorney General in the US Department of Justice. She's a cum laude graduate of Harvard and a graduate of the University of New Mexico Law School. She's the founder of the Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights Award, former chairman of the Robert F. Kennedy Memorial Foundation. I worked with her, what a privilege, to make Maryland the first state in the country to make community service a graduation requirement. Thank you, Sam. Well, thank you. No, thank you. Thank you for sure. She served on the board of the Points of Light Foundation, the Center for American Progress, the Jeffs Awards, and the Kennedy Library, and so much more. Basically, Kathleen is just a nonstop hurricane of ideas, fighting for equity and justice, action and changing lives. Kathleen is a mother of four and a grandmother of seven. Currently, she, she works at the United States Department of Labor as a representative of the Secretary of Labor on pensions and retirement. I see Kathleen as a wonderful 30-year-old friend and clearly one of America's foremost leaders. Kathleen, you're wonderful. Uh, you're wonderful, Sam. And you well, are an incredible leader for many, many years. Well, well I do the best I can. I try to follow in your steps and your dad's steps who changed oh, my life. Certainly, certainly. You've been a great... So, Eric, Kathy, thanks, just thanks, thanks for being here. Thank you. We're honored. You and I share the passion about the importance of early childhood development, ages zero to five, with the critical impact of ages zero to three, the first three years. But let's start where it all began for me in the 1960s, when I just had the privilege of working for your dad, Senator Robert Kennedy, in Brooklyn poverty community, Bedford-Stuyvesant. In the 1960s, it was germinal for me. The Kennedys inspired a whole generation of young people to serve. President Kennedy challenged us, asked what you can do for the country. Senator Robert Kennedy asked, was a risk taker and wanted to end poverty. So Kathleen, I've done too much talking and now it's your turn. <laughs> Why was your father so passionate about ending poverty? Well, he's, my father believed that, that in the richest country in the world, we should not have the kind of poverty that he saw. Um, you worked in Bedford-Stuyvesant when he was campaigning for the Senate. Uh, he saw the terrible poverty in Bedford-Stuyvesant. And he was asked what he was going to do. And people in Bedford-Stuyvesant had been accustomed to politician after politician said we were going to solve the problem. And they were disgusted by them. Politicians going out said, we'll solve the problem. They'd go into Congress and they would try to pass a law as though that was going to solve the problem. And he didn't want to wait until a law would be passed. And he said, I can try to solve it right now. And he would, he called up his friend, Tom Watson, who at that point was head of IBM and said, why don't we form a factory, get a factory right here in Bedford-Stuyvesant and start hiring people? Why don't we make sure that we're working with the citizens in Bedford-Stuyvesant so it's not doing things for people, 
but with people because he wanted to make sure that the citizens themselves um, had a role in deciding the fate for their lives. And you know very well, Sam, you were the first hire in the Bedford-Stuyvesant project. He believed very much in the idea that people in poverty communities should have a say in how they were going to be run their lives. And Bedford-Stuyvesant was a, the idea that we weren't going to just wait until Congress passed a law or didn't pass a law, but as a community leader, you could actually get people involved. And that's how he started with Bedford Stuyvesant and then Benno Schmidt, um, who was a banker at that time, to bring people together from the community and from the Wall Street and from the business community to say, let's work together and create jobs. Now, Kathleen, you told me that uh, Senator Kennedy's trip to Mississippi in 1967 was very significant. That is true. Yes. Um, I think one of the one of the um, trips that made the most difference to him was when he, he went to Mississippi, he was having hearings on um, on poverty. And Marion Wright, Marion Wright, who had uh, gone to Yale Law School, was working in Mississippi. And she was supposed to talk about what was going on in Mississippi. And then when she got to the hearings, instead of talking about all the issues in Mississippi, she said, people are starving. They don't have any money and they are starving. And he was taken aback as a number of the senators were. And he said, well, take me to Mississippi. And he went to the Delta and he saw that children were in fact starving because the food stamp pro program at that time required you to take $2 to buy food stamps. And the parents didn't have $2 and he was shocked. He had never, the only other place he had seen poverty of this kind was in, um, in Asia. And he was amazed. So he, he came back um, and told Orville Freeman, who was at that point the Secretary of Agriculture, you've got to change the food stamp program. And the Secretary of Agriculture couldn't believe that there were Americans who didn't have any cash, didn't have any money. He said, well, go down and go down to Mississippi. And the Mississippi representatives and the senators said, how dare you come into our state and say their people are starving. He said, well, if you don't believe it, come with me. And he tried to change the food stamp pro program so that people could get food stamps without having to sh give them $2. And why did they not have any money? I'll tell you what I learned. I was just in um, on the Delta last week and I actually I met a number of the women, and um, they were women at this point, uh, who met my father in 1967. They were much older. They were no longer children. They were, they were much older. And what had happened is that they had made their money by digging weeds. And then pesticides came out. And 50,000 people lost their jobs in a period of 18 months because pesticides killed the weeds. And so all the people who had dug weeds and lost their jobs. And because they had no money, they couldn't buy the food stamps, nor could they go get a bus ticket to Chicago, which is where many people from Mississippi, as you well know, went and got new jobs, but they didn't even have the money to get a bus ticket. So they were stuck with no, no jobs and no place to go. Kathleen, let me ask you this. Uh, 
that was in the uh, middle to late 1960s and we're 50 years later. Uh, how do you see poverty today? And by the way, I, I had such a privilege with Allard Lowenstein. I went down to Mississippi and participated in the uh, the uh, uh, Allard Henry campaign. And it was just life changing uh, to go down and see. I'd never seen anything like it. So I share the story you just told. Yes. Well, when I talked to Catherine when I was down at when I was in the Delta, uh, she, she was living in what was called the Freedom Freedom Center, which uh, was not a very wealthy neighborhood. Um, her her cousin lived across the way, and I asked her where she was getting her groceries, and because she didn't have a car, and her cousin was getting the groceries. So it was a very very tough situation. I think what's what the issue that you have raised right now is how do you get out of poverty? And, and right now, it's very important as you point out, is to have good childhood um, education from zero to three, because that is, as you pointed out very well, is when the brain is developed. And if, and you wanna be in a place where you can hear music, where you can develop words when your brain, stamp, uh, brain is really being developed at that time. And if you're not in that kind of situation, um, you're already by the age of three uh, left behind. You know, in 19, um, and, and all these studies are new. Um, it really came about sort of between 1987, 1992. And actually, I got a grant from the Joseph P. Kennedy Foundation, which, as you know, is interested in, in mental retardation, to uh, get Johns Hopkins to send uh, social workers to. Um, at-risk women who, who've had babies and didn't have that kind of language skills to go into the, to bring them to um, homes near Johns Hopkins to teach the mothers to sing to their children, to read to their children, just as they were born, so that the children, the babies, would have a chance to be able to learn to read, to hear thousands of words that they needed to do. Um, and this was probably in 1989. There had been studies of the effectiveness of this effort in Israel. And I, and I thought we should bring it to Baltimore. You know, that's, it's amazing how pioneer and ahead you are. And that's just, it, that's just a, a fabulous story. And then what's really interesting, Kathleen, is that the science was coming out like even 15, 20 years ago, and it's totally transformational. And the United States policy has not caught up with that. And the OECD, you take 36 developing countries, we are the 34th worst on early childhood development, zero to five. It's absolutely appalling. Now, the next question is sort of a fun one, Kathleen. The, uh, can you think of any story where you and I were working together, and what what story might you want to say? <laughs> well, what am I? There are never very lovely, wonderful stories about you, Sam. But my most extraordinary story was when I was working to get Maryland to be the first state, and still is the only state to require community service, except for Washington D.C. as a condition of high school graduation. I was getting students um, trained. And I was in Western Maryland and you said, Kathleen, I think they should get a, 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 a document awarding them for their efforts. And you were living in Delaware 
And you drove all the way from Delaware uh, to Cumberland, Maryland, to give them an award, a piece of paper congratulating them. And I thought, who is this Sam Beard? I mean, I knew you had worked for, with my father, but to drive for three hours to give these 30 students saying how great they are to do service and then drive three hours back. He said, he's mad, completely <laughs> mad. I know he loves service. I know he's enthusiastic. I know he started this program called the Jefferson Awards to provide to award people with service with my aunt Jackie. And of course, Jackie turned everybody else down except for Sam Beard. You can see why she couldn't turn him down because he has such enthusiasm and such dedication. Nobody can turn him down. Eight presidents have worked with him. And there he is driving six hours to help 30 students. He is, he's, you, you need crazy people in the world and clearly Sam meets that criteria. The other thing I love about you, Sam, um, when you have children, you want them to do well in the world and you hope that they would say, have the same values as you do. And you have started the Jefferson Awards as you did with Jackie and Bob Taft, Senator Bob Taft. And now you've got your daughter carrying them on and she's doing such a fabulous job. So not only have you started everything, this incredible effort, but you've gotten your own daughter to carry it on. So you know that it will do a fabulous job in perpetuity. So congratulations. Uh, you are ext an extraordinary human being. Thank you. And um, all I'm doing there is trying to follow the tradition of the Kennedys. I don't know a single Kennedy is not changing the world somewhere, all from different passions. And uh, but, but thank you very much. The Just one last point about the United States being the 34th worst developed country, our schools are in crisis. Uh, poverty today is not as severe as it was when your father went to uh, Mississippi, but we're way behind in, in, in poverty. And the brain science of this zero to three really changes it all around. And Right now, in the United States, we spend, in the first five years are so important, we spend less than $500 per child per year for the first five years. The OECD nation spent $14,438 per year per child. And we wonder why we're getting behind and why we're not, why our schools are behind and why we're not reversing poverty. So the, do you have any idea about, as my team and I head out, across the country to create a movement, all collaborative with everybody and nonpartisan. What do you think our chances are succeeding, Kathleen? Well, I do think, I think you might have seen that um, President Biden um, is committed to putting $20 billion into an anti-poverty program. And when I talked to Catherine in the Delta, uh, I asked her, um, you know, what she thinks is going on. She did congratulate. She was very pleased with what Joe Biden was doing. So I know you're working in a nonpartisan way, but I, I have to say that uh, I think the president is really trying to make a difference in this area. Yeah, the, pre the president- And he's from Delaware, just like you are. <laughs> the president has important, uh, has, has submitted really meaningful proposals uh, for it. So why don't we take a, a short break and we'll be right back, everybody. We're now back with Kathleen Kennedy Townsend and how happy are we?
Kathleen, <laughs> in your father's years, no one knew of the brain science zero to five, with zero to three being so critically important. I got into it by accident. I'm always follow up if people say go. And I, someone said, go see George Halverson. I had never heard of him. And I went over there. And it turns out that he's one of the very top scientists and health professionals in the world. He was the head of Kaiser Permanente. And then he just, in the fewest words, he told me something that's changed my life. And I can't quit until we change it. The new brain science, and pretty much everybody agrees on it, is the new baby is born and billions of synapses start connecting a million a second. And by the third birthday, the neurological passages, which define your ability to succeed in school, are 70 to 80 percent set. And the scientists all agree on that. So then if we don't pay attention to zero to three, we can't reverse our schools the way we want to. And I'll give you just an example of that. The, they measure reading ability. Great. In your father's years, no one knew of the brain science of ages zero to five and ages of zero to three being so critically important. Today, the scientists remarkably almost all agree that the first three years of your life are so important. So if you just follow my finger, if I start here, what they know is all of the scientists, the first three years, you just zoom up in the first three years of capacity and creativity. And there's never a period of your life that that is repeated. And age four is important and age five is important. So how do you, Kathleen, see early childhood as being so important? I think I think you've said it very well, Sam. I think that what we, what we need to do is make sure that children have the uh, ability to uh, have access to language and to music and to uh, words early on um, and have the joy of, of learning about the world. Uh, so I think you've said it very well. Now, let's try this. What did your parents do in your earliest years? Um, my parents believed that we should know about the world and that we should um, obviously go to church and um, listen to Bible stories. So for instance, when other parents would bring their kids to the playground, my mother brought us to the Senate racket committee hearings. So some of my first words were, I refuse to answer that question on the grounds that may tend to incriminate me. <laughs> but my father also believed very much that we should uh, hear Bible stories. So every night before we went to bed, we would say our prayers. So we had memorized them and he would read to us a chapter from the Bible. So we heard early on those stories and those prayers and every day we would, from the very earliest, we would say prayers before and after every meal. And that helped us know stories, so many stories early on and so many tales from the past. And we would also hear history and they would take us to um, historical areas. So they were part of our growing up. So we learned very early on the importance of history, the importance of, of our religious traditions, and the importance of what was going on right now. <laughs> now, did, did your mother have a tr tradition of putting you kids in her lap and reading to you? 
Well, there were a lot of kids, so it would be kind of hard to put all the kids in our in her lap. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and and when you have um, as many boys as she had, which were like seven, and that was Kathleen and then three brothers, they they tended to fight a number of times. So putting them in their lap might not have been as as peaceful as a situation as you may have, have thought. Um, and besides having boys in the laps, there were a lot of lizards around. Um, my brother, Bobby, for instance, had a hundred lizards by the time he was four years old. He did memorize the names of all those lizards, however. All right. Now, when you and David were bringing up your four children in their earliest years. We did not have as many lizards. Um, <laughs> Zero to five, what did you do with your children? We did have goldfish. We did have dogs. And we did have... What are those things from South America? We had a number of those. So we read, um, we did go on historical events with Gettysburg and all of that. So we wanted to, we went camping. It was a lot of exercise and thinking and talking. And that was, it was, it was and then I think I thought that our children, to, 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 I put up the, the map of Africa and wanted them to know all the countries in Africa. I don't know why I had that but it actually made a difference. One of my daughters went to the Peace Corps in Africa and the other one spent two years in Africa doing open source data. So apparently what you do with your children when they're young has some. And then I think I, I when they were really young, Jane Fonda was very popular. And so I made them watch me do Jane Fonda. And my oldest daughter became a yoga teacher and had a yoga studio with 1500 members. So. You never know what happens with your children, but you apparently really make a, an impact. All right. So now when you were uh, a little older now, so let's say you're eight and 10. Yeah. Uh, what kinds of things? So your, 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 your father brought you to the uh, to the Senate hearings. And what happened when you were driving around in cars? And what happened at your dining, dining room table when you were, let's say, eight to 14? Oh, yeah. Well, my parents believed that we should go around the table and recite current events. So. You know, if it was very easy if you sat next to my mother on the right, you just had to know the front page. But as you get around the table, you had to actually read much more deeply into the newspaper because there were so many kids. Um, the front pages were taken by the kids on the right. <laughs> and then on Sundays, my parents thought you should either recite a poem or know a person in history. And my father, for some reason, kept asking us, where was the Battle of Bunker Hill fought? And as you may know, it was fought on Breed's Hill, not Bunker Hill. I think they got the, the name of the hill wrong. <laughs> All right. Now, so here's the talking about America and childhood development. Uh, do you see this as a just a policy imperative? We have to focus on zero to three because it really is transformational. It, it, I think it is. And I think it should be, I, th I hope that when we talk about zero to three, we, we talk about it with some joy and some happiness because those are wonderful years for children. And if we think about this as an opportunity to play, to build blocks, to build cities, to talk about dinosaurs or, or other animals, um, to, to spend some time to name things. Um, I think it will be uh, much more fun. As, as um, Mary Poppins said, a little bit of sugar 
yeah. makes the medicine go down. So I think it's important yeah. that this be uh, something that we can look upon as a wonderful thing to do, a source of happiness. It, it, it needs to be happy. That's a wonderful thing. And play with is vitally important. And just as an example, if you're reading a book and your baby starts to chew on the book, don't slap the baby because because then you can teach the baby that reading is bad. And uh, and then if so, then if the baby crawls out of your lap, there's a thing called serve and return. The baby has discovered something that is has strike struck his curiosity and he crawls across the floor. You should get right on the floor and crawl across the floor yourself. And, and, and that encourages the baby to be uh, creative and, and find things and have an open mind and stuff. And so it's, what you've just said is vitally important. So now that we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Kathleen, welcome back. And today you work at the Department of Labor. And your goal is to focus on America's retirement system. What are your goals? So you may know that for the last 20 years, Gallup has found that retirement is America's number one concern. In fact, uh, there's a poll that shows that for Americans who are 40 years old with children, 80% are more worried about retirement than they are of death itself. So retirement really scares Americans. And there's reason for that. 50% of all Americans have nothing saved for retirement. So, but they don't organize around retirement. And why is that? They organize around healthcare, they organize around minimum wage, they organize around paid family sick leave. And the reason they don't organize around retirement is because they feel guilty. They feel shame, they feel it's their fault. And so my wonder, number one goal is to say there's a system's fault. It's not their fault. We have to change the system. So there are three parts of the system I want to change. One, most people, 90% of all people, get their retirement at work. And yet half of all workplaces don't offer a retirement plan. So... We're working with states. When I was chair, uh, when I was in Maryland, for instance, we changed the law to say all businesses that don't offer a retirement plan should put 5% of their employees' salary into a retirement plan offered by the state if the employee agrees. And now 12 states have done that. And employees, for instance, in, in Oregon have saved $2,000. Over $500 million is now stay, saved in state plans because employees now have a place to save. That's number one. Number two, you can't believe this, but $92 billion is lost every year because people can't take the retirement plan from job to job. So we want to make it easier to do that. And three, when you retire and you had a pension, you knew you would get a monthly paycheck every month and it wouldn't matter when you would die. Now you get a lump sum and you don't know when you're gonna die. So you don't know how to spend that money. So we wanna change how you get your money. So you can have a lump sum, a monthly paycheck 
for the rest of your life and you don't have to worry about how you invest it. And that way you'll get a retirement plan. You'll be able to take it from job to job and you won't have to worry about when you're going to die. That's my plan. Perfect. Now, if your audience uh, wants to friend you, uh, how do they reach you? They can email me at townsend.kathleen.k at dol.gov. Okay. Now, here's a fun question for you. As one of America's top leaders over the years, please share what you see as your most important contribution. I think there are a number, three contributions that have been important. One, making Maryland the state where all kids can do community, do community service because that taught young people that they can make a difference, that they have power, that things aren't going to be done to them, but they can see a problem and they can solve it. Two, we could, we, uh, as Lieutenant Governor, I was in charge of our anti-crime efforts and we were able to reduce crime 33% in high crime neighborhoods, which shows that if you get police and community working together, you could reduce crime. And it's been effective in those areas. When you get people to work together and you focus, you can reduce crime. And three, I started the Robert Kennedy Human Rights Award to help people around the world stop human rights abuses. And then we followed through with them after they won the award. And that's really made a difference in South Africa, in Poland many years ago, and in, uh, and in South America. And now also in the United States with the Immokalee workers in Florida, where they had an extraordinary success in which the Immokalee workers who pick our tomatoes are paid a fair wage, are getting rid of sexual harassment, can drink water when they work and get shade over their workers and their children because they see their good work, the work their parents do either can work with them in the field or make enough money to start their own business or even go to college. So I'm very happy with that. Yeah, I just want to compliment you because I've asked that question of a lot of people and they've never thought about it. And then it goes to show that your dining room tables were really important because you came up with three very crisp, immediate ideas. And that's why you're so amazing. Now, if you were a mobilizer uh, and you share what you do, our emphasis on zero to three and early childhood development, what would you say to our audience about what should they do and how do they get involved and how do they join GIFT to create a zero to five movement across America? Well, if I were working on zero to five, I would work with the people in my state that are focused on this issue. And in every state, I am sure there is a group that is trying to fund this effort. I'm sure the Casey Foundation is working in most of the states on this effort. Very good. Perfect. Now, first oh, the fourth thing I've done is, get, <laughs> is to help four, 12 states pass this legislation so that in 12 states, at least, it's easier to get a retirement plan. Thank you. There you go. Now, the, so we're at an end. And uh, Kathleen, I just, from the bottom of my heart, want to thank you for being our first uh, wonderful guest. And then 
everybody who's been watching, thank you for being on the uh, on the uh, conversations podcast. And everybody, please follow Gift Connect on our social channels at giftconnect.org on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or go to our website at www.gift-connect.org. There's a wonderful session, and just wait for our next podcast coming up with Dr. Roberta Golenkoff, who is a world-famous uh, author, and Kathleen, she, she specializes in play with. And with that, thank you very much, everybody. Thank you, Sam. Good luck. Thank you.